0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm your host, Carrie Diamond, coming to you from Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in the heart of New York City. I'm the founder and editor of Cherry Bomb Magazine. Each week, I talk to the most interesting culinary personalities around. Today's episode is a conversation about the late great chef and culinary trailblazer, Edna Lewis, recorded live at our second annual Cooks and Books Festival at Ace Hotel, Brooklyn. Chef, author, and TV personality, Tanya Holland, interviewed Edna's niece, Nina Williams M. Bang, about Edna's life and legacy. Nina, who retired a few years ago from a long career in child welfare, is a board member of the Edna Lewis Foundation. Amazingly, when she was just 12 years old, Nina typed up the manuscript for Edna's 1976 cookbook, The Taste of Country Cooking. That book is widely considered one of the most important American cookbooks around. Stay tuned for Tanya and Nina. Today's show is presented by Yes Apples. If you love apples, you need to know about Yes Apples, a company that celebrates apples from New York State. You might not know this, but New York is famous for its amazing apples. Yes Apples are grown on more than 50 different family-owned farms across New York. And Yes Apples is also woman-owned, which you know we love here at Cherry Bomb. You can find Yes Apples at grocery stores around the country, but you can also order Yes Apples direct to your door. They make it super simple. You pick the variety you want to try and that's in season, such as the classic Honey Crisps or newcomers like Evercrisp and Snapdragon. I ordered myself a box of Pink Lady apples the other day because, well, I eat a lot of apples, and the flavor profile was so intriguing. Bright, sweet tart flavors of melon, lemongrass, and tart cherry. I love tossing an apple in my bag as a healthy snack when I'm running to the podcast studio or when I'm working from home, I snack on apples with peanut butter a lot. I'm excited there will be some fresh, juicy, delicious Yes Apples in my fridge to enjoy very soon. And yes, keep your apples in your fridge. They stay crisper longer. If you'd like to try Yes Apples for yourself, head to yesapples.com and use code CHERRY15 for $15 off your first order. The code is good through January 31st. So don't delay. Here's some fun news. We are launching a brand new podcast. It's called She's My Cherry Pie, and it's all about baking. Maybe you caught the mini series we ran last year. Now it's going to be its own thing. Each week, host Jesse Sheehan will talk to the best bakers around and do a deep dive into their signature baked goods. New episodes start dropping Saturday, January 21st. Put that in your calendars. Sign up for the She's My Cherry Pie newsletter to learn about the guests and to get a recipe so you can bake along. You can sign up for the newsletter at cherrybomb.com, and be sure to tune in. Now, let's check in with today's
1: guest. Nina, reading about you, it's like, we have so much in common. I discovered we both went to the University of Virginia, we both, wah we both studied languages, you majored in Spanish, me, Russian. We both didn't do anything with those degrees directly, bit, directly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did when I went to Kazakhstan. I was finally like, Dad, the degree is finally paying off. We were both latchkey kids in New York. I was up in Rochester, you in the Bronx. Yeah, so I want to circle back to that down the road, but what are the chances? Um, also, your aunt greatly influenced me. I moved to New York City in 1988. When I started really getting to restaurants, 90, 91, I heard about Edna Lewis. Now, when you said Brooklyn back then, you may as well have said North Dakota, right? It was like nobody was really... But I and I didn't have any money and but knowing that she existed really inspired me and made me believe that I could do what I do. Representation really matters. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your time in Virginia. So your ancestors from Freetown, which is in Unionville and you write in Orange County. So what's the nearest major city that we all might know? Where's sure. That?
2: It is about an hour and a half south of D.C., oh. 45 miles east of Charlottesville. Okay. Near Fredericksburg, um, Got Virginia. It. So, central Virginia, the rolling hills, still two hours northwest of Richmond and Norfolk and those places you've heard of. Okay. So, way very rural.
1: Yeah. Yes. Beautiful area, though. Yes. How did you get there back then? Like how did you travel? By train, by bus, by oh, car? Oh
2: Lord. We took trailways bus wow. down there From or here. the train. And there really was a midnight train to Georgia that we took. <laughs> there really was. Cause we took it at night because we lived up I lived up in the Bronx and it ended up with us nineteen seventy South Bronx burning where you didn't want people to know that you were leaving your house, your apartment. So you went late at night if you could, so nobody could see you. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, either the bus or the train.
1: Wow, wow, that's amazing. I took a bus ride once from Rochester to Charlottesville. It was not fun. <laughs> then how did you end up at UVA? Did you, was it because of the Virginia summers? Yeah, was it pro- yeah
2: probably, yeah, because I, I love Virginia and I was applying to different colleges. And I remember I went to, me and my mom, and went to visit my Aunt Jen. Aunt Jen is the older sister that really did the cooking that Aunt Edna really learned from and worked with. We went to UVA and went to Monticello and I fell in love with it and applied and got in. So that's how I ended up going there. Wonderful. I
1: know for me, my aunties have been very influential for me. Like even before, and I don't know how much of you all know this, but Nina typed her aunt's manuscript for the cookbook which is amazing at 12 years old. 12 years old. Sorry, 12 years old. <laughs> so besides that, significantly, how did your auntie influence you? Did you gravitate wow. towards her like from the beginning was she a favorite aunt or
2: Yeah, what was definitely. The relationship like? Sure. My mother was the baby sister and their father had died when my mom was about 6 months old and their mother died when my mom was 12. So Aunt Edna was already here in New York. So she took my mom from Virginia. To live with her here. She put her in high school, Julia Richmond High School, I think that's somewhere in Manhattan. And she put her in the New York School the Art Students League of New York at that time, 1945, 1947. So she raised my mom, really. So they were very close. And then when I was born, my mom was a single parent up in the Bronx. She I became like her other daughter, because she didn't have any kids that survived. And in mm-hmm. nineteen seventy we ended up moving in together. My mom became very ill, had to go to Philadelphia. In hospital with the other sister and aunt edna and her husband moved from harlem and moved us to an apartment across the street the other apartment had black smoke from the incinerator that triggered tuberculosis in my mom first thing i think about Aunt edna and all those moments and her africanness her love of africa she was a teaching assistant at the american museum of natural history in the african hall and i used to come every day after school and high school and hang out with her for a few hours and we go on the subway up to the Bronx. So that was very influential. Her, she met a lot of African people, African students. She started wearing those beautiful African dresses and reading history of Africa and that always, that influenced me quite a bit.
1: Wow. And just before we leave Charlottesville, okay.
2: <laughs> I want to say, did,
1: was your aunt aware of the story of James Hemings? Did she talk about that at all? Thomas Jefferson's I, yeah, chef, everybody yeah. from
2: I think they talked about it because I remember her talking about it a bit when it was in the news. I don't remember that much. They were more talking about Freetown because they had grown up there. My mom had not, she was too young, but they talked about it. For them, it was like yesterday, talking about the old folks and everything they did. And as Aunt Edna was doing the book, she was double checking all the recipes with her sister Ginny and brother Lou that were still in Virginia to make sure she got the recipes right and the memory's right. Uh, so I'd say they talked to me about Freetown that I remember, but I was 12, 13, and 14, but yeah. they did. By the way, she has the same
1: birthday as Thomas Jefferson. Yes, April 13th, <laughs> yeah, yep. yes. Okay, so you're in Virginia, and you're eating all this great food that your aunt's cooking, and then you said, being latchkey, you go home and you're eating SpaghettiOs. Did you, what was that like? How did you feel, and I did some of the same things with my yeah. grandparents in Virginia, but yeah. Did you feel it in your body? Did it feel different? Did you miss it or?
2: Yeah, I was torn. My mom sent me to Virginia every summer till I was about 13 and then I was like, I don't want to go to the farm. So I was torn, I was a real shy kid. So I would miss my mom, but then I'd love to Virginia and then I wouldn't want to leave Virginia and I'd run down the hill, not trying to hide from going to get on the bus at the end of the summer. And I was was just real shy. And I had a hard time coming back Mm. into New York and meeting my friends. I couldn't. I was really shy. I won't say any more. Do you think that maybe that influenced your work, like being latchkey?
1: You have that kind of, it's unintentional independence and responsibility, Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. don't have constant adult supervision. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what took you into child welfare or...?
2: I think so. I think, definitely I think that. Growing up in that community in the Bronx, I knew that I wanted to do something to help people because it was neglected and there was so much poverty. I do remember standing in the middle of 138th Street at one point and there were fires everywhere. And I said, God, if you get me out of here, I will do something to serve people. So I think that really, and I have always, my first few jobs, I worked for a cruise line or something. But after that, I, wanted, I tried to dedicate myself to doing something um, to help people in some way with whatever skills I had.
1: What were causing the fires at that time? Ooh,
2: I don't know. I think it's something to do with insurance and burning the buildings down and collecting insurance. That's what they said. I don't, you look back in the history of New York City, wow. but it was a thing.
1: <laughs> and at what point did you realize that your Aunt Edna was someone special?
2: Wow. Uh, Let's see, she did a cookbook, the Edna Lewis cookbook, in 1972. And then we started just looking, and she had the same photographer, John Hill. But the second one, the Taste of Country Cooking, it was just amazing. People started calling her, she was in newspapers, she was in the New York City newspapers. So I think with the publication of that, we really knew that this was something special. And being in all these different magazines, and she, and Edna was very quiet, very shy, very self-effacing, not, not ego-driven at all. So this was amazing to her, and we joked about it at first and didn't know where it was going. And I think she would have no idea of all this. She'd just be <laughs> amazed by all of you. She really would. And so thankful and grateful that you're paying attention to her. And the people of Freetown would just be... Oh, they would not imagine that people are listening to their story and to their lifestyle and their life ways and being fascinated by it and studying it.
1: Yeah, she's quite a legacy for sure. The Taste of Country Cooking is one of the most important American cookbooks. So she was shy at home. Did she have a persona when she was out in the world or do you think she ever turned on or she was consistently herself?
2: She was consistently herself. She was very tall, regal looking. So she looked that way, but inside she was really shy. I remember hanging out with her. The woman who worked with her on the first book, Evangeline Peterson. I tagged along a lot with Aunt Edna when I was young, because my mom was working three jobs. And I remember I'd go with her to her house. She was cooking for her and with her, and they would start drinking wine, and they were talking about stuff. They were giggling, and they got, the giggles got, their voices got higher and higher. They were giggling. I was nine, eight, nine, ten, 10, and I was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were having a good time. They were having a good time. Yes. So she
2: was very funny. She had a great sense of humor and she was just really interesting, really <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs>
1: wow. Did you ever visit her when she was at Gage and Tolner or any of her other oh, restaurants? Yes, yeah. definitely,
2: yeah. I did spend a lot of time at Gage and Tolner, coming over here with her. I'd wait with her. She was, we were all living together in 47th Street in Manhattan by that time, I think, and stay with her. We'd go home together on the subway. I think I didn't go to the restaurant in North Carolina, in Farrington House. I did not go there, my mother did. But I did go to Middleton Place, which was a really great place. I spent like a week there with her. It was just beautiful. So I did try and do a lot of things with her and definitely visited her here, at Gage and Taulder here in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And did she, she wrote cookbooks and then worked in restaurants?
2: Yeah, yeah. She didn't
1: do well. Any, she, she worked she, in some it, restaurants before? She
2: worked in restaurants. She started in Cafe Nicholson yeah. back in the 1940s, okay. which was in Manhattan way before I was born and she had a restaurant in Harlem on 25th street in the 70s also for about a year and a half two years I'd spent a lot of time there and then she, pheasant farm in New Jersey with her husband and then and then when she wrote the taste of country cooking then she did different catering jobs she was cooking for people and then she went to the restaurants in South Carolina and North Carolina awesome so do you cook or entertain at home <laughs> I'm not a great cook I blame it on Anetta <laughs> She tested the recipes for the both books in our apartment up in the Bronx, and she chased me out of the kitchen. That's what I say anyway. <laughs> and so, no. I do garden, so I do try and do that. Tell us
1: a little bit about, more about your gardening, because you're in Denver. Or I'm in Denver, Denver, outside
2: of Denver, in Aurora, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. It's hard gardening there. It's much different in Virginia because it's much drier. We only get 15 inches of rain a year, so it's really tough. And this past summer was really hot. So a lot of things didn't grow so it's hard the soil's clay but it's great it was always very nurturing and calming to me especially after getting off work and i remember my aunts and uncles farming in virginia and i try and grow some of the same things so it's been great very healing i became a master gardener trying to learn how to garden better so I do enjoy that, so. <laughs> a
1: little return to the roots. Yes, yeah. definitely. And speaking definitely. of which, you mentioned that when your Aunt Edna farmed and gardened, mm-hmm. she felt really connected to ancestors.
2: Yes, and yeah. And that was
1: really important to her.
2: Yeah, she talked to me a lot about that. I remember when she was in South Carolina at Middleton Place. It was just a beautiful place. It was a former rice plantation and it had these beautiful twin lakes. And she'd often go walk in the morning. And she always said that she felt, her ans- she felt the presence of her ancestors along with her, or behind her, or beside her. And she talked so much about Freetown, and the way that people lived, and how they cared for each other, that she always carried that with her in her heart. And that's why she pressed on, wanted to pass their memory on, and she really felt you know, the food was special, the people were special, the way they treated each other and raised the food and the animals was so special that she wanted to pass that legacy on. That's amazing.
1: The first plantation I visited was a rice plantation as well. And I had that similar feeling of just feeling like the ghosts of my ancestors. And just a little interjection. So it was a tape piece for the Food Network. And this was in 2020, 2000, no, what year? 2000, (laughs) 2000, my first year on Melting Pot. And there was a man from Sierra Leone who was there to show African-Americans their positive contribution to the foodways in America. And I said to the producer, this should be a special. And they're like crickets, you know, and it's essentially the high and the hog story. But it's so empowering to know your legacy and the story of your ancestors. Speaking of which, tell us about the Edna Lewis Foundation, what it means, what your goals are, and then you have some winners of some scholarships, I believe.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. I'm so excited. I'm on the board of trustees of the Edna Lewis Foundation, the second iteration of the foundation. It's headquartered in Savannah, Georgia. Um, Ashama Bailey is the chair right now of the foundation, and there's other fabulous people there. There's a website, so you can go and see all that. And the mission is to promote Edna Lewis, but also sustainable agriculture, black community, and food culture, and food ways. And we do give out three scholarships yearly. They're $5,000 each, and we're trying to fundraise to build that up. And there are three different categories, storytelling, culinary, and agriculture, and farming. And we've got several years of scholars. They're just absolutely incredible young people. They have to be at least 21 years old and of course involved in the food uh, industry in some way. And we hope to do this to promote them and to get their careers going. And we just have our three winners. We had lots of folks apply and we're encouraging the others to apply again next year. And we'd love to be able to help them develop their goals and objectives and things. But we've got three winners and I'm hoping I can pull them up. For the culinary, a young person, Devin Charles Hamilton, is the winner. He's from Los Angeles, California, and he is working primarily on barbecue and doing some other things. And with the winning money, he is going to uh, continue his community work about the historical and cultural practices of barbecue in the black community. He's gonna take a culinary trip to Cameroon in West Africa to connect African culinary traditions to black pitmasters. And he'll use the remaining remaining funds for equipment for his, his business. And this is the second year that he's applied. So we're really excited about that. In the area of storytelling, we've chosen a young woman named Sydney Lawson. And i think this is really interesting she's got a project that centers historical research and current interviews on the nexus of black women food and cooking and romance and i don't quite know what that means but that's really exciting <laughs> and in the last category of agriculture and farming a young woman named Quasandria price who lives in mississippi she's really interesting she's going to use the money she's on a working farm a black farm in Mississippi she's going to use the money to travel to other farms to learn from more experienced farmers she's going to purchase agricultural equipment for her farm that she really needs and she's going to visit true love seeds farm in Pennsylvania they focus on growing ancestral crops and seeds and connecting to people's heritage and ultimately she wants to develop a CSA, a community agriculture project geared towards the black community, specifically in Mississippi. So we're very excited that we're giving them $5,000 each to help them forward in their careers. Wonderful. So what do you
1: think your Aunt Edna would think of the culinary landscape today? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If If you can imagine.
2: Yeah, sure. She'd be really proud. She'd be astounded. One of her, the last things talking to her that she wanted to do was she wanted to write the tome the book on African American cooking, the history of African American culinary history here in the United States. It's African roots, it's Native American roots, it's European roots. And I realize that her dream has come th- true through you and all, all of your interest in her and all the people that are getting degrees and studying all of this. I think she would be amazed. And I'm trying to I try and engage my daughters. My daughter, Amina is here with me, my younger daughter, and I have an, an older daughter, Sally Mata, who went with me to something in Savannah. So I wanted them to see what their, what, sort of what their heritage is and to be proud of my aunt and in some way pass that on in their generation. I think she would be completely astounded. I think she would be very proud because this is something she always dreamed of doing and exploring and writing about and educating people about. Um, she would just be very proud of the young people's involvement in all of this and their seriousness and dedicating their studies to this work. And I think she would be most proud that the people of Freetown are being honored and remembered and there are thousands of Freetowns in the South, which are towns of, that were formed right after slavery of people that were formerly enslaved. They were either granted land by their former um, slave owners in the area, or they bought the land outright and set up their own communities. They didn't look back, they look forward, they fearlessly, regardless of the Ku Klux Klan activity, they set up communities, they built, ch- there's a church that's opening back up after COVID in Virginia, that's 180, 190 years old that we went to, that I went to, that was formed right after slavery, and there's, you know, thousands of churches like that, but they had little stores, they had businesses, they built homes, they built orchards and farms. There's nothing much standing, there's one farm there that's a distant relative of ours does own, but that's, it's in our hearts, I think, and in our memory, and hopefully we're passing it on to our nation at large because we really need that memory of making something out of nothing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Did she ever talk about not having peers, like real peers, like other black women at that level? I mean, her peers were James Beard, Julia Child, Mm -hmm. but not having anyone who looked like her and maybe what her thoughts were of what the future could be.
2: She didn't really, I don't think she expressed it to me so much. Again, I was very young. We did laugh and joke about when was the money coming with all the fame? Um, She, you know, (laughs) she, She focused on Freetown. Still looking for that. (laughs) Um, She focused on Freetown and her family and her love of them, her her love of Africa and learning African history. She talked about that. She was very adamant about. There's some interviews I think online where she talked about the Southern cooking. It was really black men and women who did this cooking. They couldn't write. They couldn't. The other whites, the white women and other men were writing this down and getting the credit for what they had created and what they did in this whole way of life, and how it was so much beyond fried chicken and greens, as we ho- I hope that you can see from her book, The Taste of Country Cooking. So we did talk about that quite a bit. And she was very passionate about getting that story out there, getting the story out there of the food sellers who would be at the train stations in the south, especially in Orange, which was our little train station, selling to passengers passing through that part the of the country. The shoebox lunches. The shoebox and- lunches. Mm-hmm. Definitely, she was very proud of those folks—the folks who work in the kitchen and who still do, and who struggled and suffered and don't know their names, but contributed to all that we know and love and benefit from today. Wow. Um,
1: no, but this heritage and that, like, sort of nameless, but just like you know, wanting to feed each other and fe- you know, and take care of people is really obviously important to her. Anyone have a question,
3: for Nina? So happy to be here today with you two and with everyone in the room to share it. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about the whole uh, publication experience once she had the manuscript and how she got it out there? And also, I was introduced to both Cherry Bomb and and, uh, during COVID. Um, I'm a documentary filmmaker and turned from being out in the world stories to my kitchen and, and Zoom and meeting and learning about Edna. And I happened to be up at my family homestead mm-hmm. outs- in, outside of Charlottesville okay. yeah. from the 1700s, 1800s. Oh, wow. And um, you inspired me and Edna inspired me to get in my car. And I drove to Orange to oh, Unionville. <laughs> and I went to Bethel Church. Yeah, yeah. And I saw your family name yeah, that you helped yeah. establish that. Yeah. And then I went to Freedom town Uh Um, I Mm -hmm. learned that there were more than one yes yes in that whole in that area there's I found two and it was it was just like so enriching to know where she came from what she accomplished and in that environment Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so yeah I would just like to know how she finally got her work out there and how you all made sure that it continues
2: Oh, Actually, thank you. Actually, that,
1: yeah. that was my question, kind because of, no, I wanted you to talk about <laughs> typing up the manuscript, okay. you know, and you were talking about her punctuation that you had to correct, but yeah, let's make that movie, okay? <laughs> well, that
2: would be great. <laughs> now, uh, well, now I was 12, 12, 13, and 14. This is probably not from my knowledge, but from what I've read uh, and, and talked to other folks, and Sarah Franklin is working on uh, the papers of her publisher. Who was the publisher of Julia Child's Knopf? Yeah, right. Knopf. Yes. Judith Jones. Judith Thank Knopf. you. Thank you, Judith Jones. Yes, my understanding is that she was introduced to Judith Jones through Evangeline Peterson, who's the woman that you worked with on the first book, the Edna Lewis Cookbook. And Evangeline Peterson was married to uh, the person who owned Rugoff Theater Theater Chain. She cooks for these folks. She was a domestic cook for people, I know they say that she catered, but she was, a, she was the help, she was the cook. So they were, they were helping her, so I don't know all the details other than um, I think Evangeline went to Judith Jones and talked about, you know, what about a, a book that talks about Edna's life growing up in um, Freetown, Virginia. It was so, something like that, but I, I was so young, I don't know those details. I just, you know, I typed the manuscript and I, I met with, with her a couple of times with Judith and listened in on their conversations. So I think it was really Judith Jones who just had this art for recognizing what she thought would really impact Americans as she did with Judith Jones. Judith just recognized what people here would, would relate to and, you know, just, just in our human experience that that's really what I think that happened and and it didn't have any publicists or anybody you know other than Judith sort of helping her guiding her to try and do this there was nothing like that and she didn't have anybody like that She didn't have any lawyers or attorneys or anything like that I think it was just her quiet personality that probably endeared Judith to her to help her and keep going but you know that's that's what she did, and I know it's a very different world now with Instagram and social media, and I cannot imagine what that would be like. And and she was so shy. uh, She would have had difficulty a a bit, I think, with some of this. Awesome.
3: Ina, thanks again for for sharing your story and and celebrating your aunt's legacy. How are you hoping the foundation helps set a greater legacy for Edna, and what are tangible things that us as consumers of food can do to support Mm -hmm. Um, the growing legacy for the foundation?
2: Sure. Uh, Please visit our website, the Edna Lewis Foundation. If you Google that, you'll pull it up. You'll see all the members uh, on the board of trustees. We do have a network of mentors. So if anybody's interested in being a mentor to the young people that are scholars, uh, that would be great. We certainly could use help fundraising and everything from fundraising. We do not have paid staff. We don't have administrative staff. We don't have an executive director. So we've all got to do this ourselves. And I'm trying to do more of, of it because i am retired where Michelle Bailey and Paul Freerbach and El Simone and all these folks are, are chefs and writers and busy, busy, busy. So please get on our website. Um, you know, Donate if you can. Reach out and contact us. We're trying to brainstorm, come up with ways to raise more money so we can fund more of these young people so that we can get an executive director to actually execute some of the stuff to help us sort of brainstorm where we go next. How do we grow our money? How can we really engage? We need to develop a business plan, a five-year plan, a marketing strategy, and we need help. That, that would be you know, fantastic. Thank you so
3: much. This has been really interesting and intriguing to know, especially how we can Commit ourselves to the foundation. Is the foundation also working on archiving um, her tremendous backlog of, you know, the restaurants, menus, even writing that she did that hasn't been published? Are there any plans to kind of archive so that other researchers and writers can use the information and credit her and cite her appropriately?
2: I think that's a fantastic idea. The foundation did film and record her sister, her last remaining sibling, who's 98 and a half, who's still alive. She's had some health issues the last few weeks, but I'm so glad they recorded, I've not seen those recordings, but they recorded her over a whole week, like two or three years ago, just about growing up and being with Edna. Oh, another thing that's happening, the University of Maryland uh, Department of Anthropology contacted us to do an archeological and architectural survey of Freetown, Virginia. A multi-year project that would start with interviewing the descendants of Freetown, and then they would actually do an actual on-site survey And that is slowly getting underway. It's a professor of archeology span who's doing, who's also teaching at the same time. But we're really thrilled and excited about that. And that's when I learned that there are probably hundreds of free towns or similar communities throughout Virginia and throughout the South. So that is in the works, and we hope something like that would be published.
0: Nina, I would love to know what your ultimate dream is. We've seen all the things that Julia Child has gotten. The documentaries, the HBO series, the movie. So many things. Are, are there dreams that you have
2: for Edna along those lines? I hadn't thought about a movie. I thought that would be interesting. <laughs> well, actually, I should say, I would love to see someone write something on Freetown or Freetowns. I think it would be a great movie. But really do the research and, and find out about how these, community for, these communities formed. What's the result of them? What what did it take? What kind of resiliency and resolve did these communities of people have where they went and set up towns in the deep south? Probably some of them may still be in existence. Most of them probably are not, but I think Researching that and putting that out there I think would be of great service to our country. That's one of my dreams about Free town not so much Aunt Edna, but definitely Aunt Edna. I want her to be on all the black history things. I wanted to be. She is in Wikipedia and Britannica. She was on Jeopardy. She was a Jeopardy question this past year. That was like, okay. And I just want people, you know, when they see black history icons, I want her name to be there, and I think that's happening. I think she's recognized her role in influencing Alice Waters and the development of the farm-to-table movement.
0: Tanya was a Jeopardy question as well.
2: <laughs> clue. <All> right,
0: <laughs> or a clue. You were the answer to the question, right? Whatever, whatever, whatever that is. Oh,
2: question. And
3: it was a stamp. She had a stamp. Oh, and it was true. a stamp.
2: No, she was on a stamp. That's true. And Edna is a postal stamp in 2014, 2015, I think, along with uh, James Beard, Julia Child, Joyce Chen, I'm gonna forget the other the other I think folks' I names. Have that. okay, yeah, that's yeah. I've got mm-hmm. I should have worn my little pen. And she received Ed as a doctor. She received an honorary culinaris doctoress from uh, Johnson and Wales University. She's a doctor, she did not finish high school, but she's a doctor and I'm so proud of that. Hi,
3: I'm wondering if you, um, speaking of the food in particular, have a favorite recipe or a memory of a favorite dish
2: that she cooked Mm. or you had together? A whole lot of them. I remember being at our, so the Baptist church, you know, we have revival meeting in the the summers, The, the little church, Bethel Baptist church is second Sunday in August. I think they're gonna have it this year. And so there's a big history behind it. It's not like what it was. They had, it's by the woods, and they'd have these long wooden tables with linen tablecloths, and the families would compete, and they'd have food. So you'd have your morning service, you'd have lunch, then you'd have the service after, then you'd have the evening service, then you'd have church every night that week. So I was on the line with the homemade ice cream and the blackberry cobbler. Oh my God. (laughs) And I, I was just eating and serving. Blackberry cobbler. Oh my God, because I would follow Aunt Edna, Aunt Jen, in the fields, they would pick the blackberries, you know, I would, we'd get, it was hot, we, I, they'd rip purple your hands. skin, purple hands, or the, you, ba- the, 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 the thorns, bands, right? yeah, would rip your skin, and my uncle's cows were out in the fields, I was terrified of cows. <laughs> terrified of them, they would chase me, I was terrified of cows. Uh, so the blackberry cobbler, and peach cobbler, apple brown Betty, Apple brown Betty, oh, you're gonna get me going on. Ca- caramel layer cake, fried chicken, uh, string beans, cooked like all day because they, she said they had more fiber in them. They were different um, you know, species of the string beans, so they were tough. Uh, mul- greens, like they would pick collards and mustard and mix them together and having that for dinner. Oh boy, I can't even, a lot of the tomato dishes, baked tomatoes, sweet potato pie, sweet potato pie, sweet potato pie, <laughs> sweet potato pie. It was, <laughs> it was this thick, it's supposed to be real thin, and that's supposed to be like this. It was this thick, they whipped egg white, whipped into it. And my aunt, they would put the sweet potatoes through a strainer, you know, get all the good fiber out, but oh my God. I can eat a sweet potato anything because it's sweet potato. Sweet potato pie, potato salad, <laughs> ham biscuits, biscuits, any kind of jelly, and I used to make coconut layer cakes oh, for me for my birthday. Yes. Page 220. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Nina and Tanya. By the way, Tanya has a beautiful new cookbook out titled California Soul. Those of you who love cookbooks you can read and cook from will enjoy it. If you'd like to hear more from Nina, check out my Radio Cherry Bomb interview with her from 2021. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to Yes Apples for supporting our show. Radio Cherry Bomb is a production of Cherry Bomb magazine. Our theme song is by the band La. Thank you, Eric Shepard, for the audio production at Cooks and Books, and Joseph Hazen, studio engineer for Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center producer Catherine Baker, and associate producer Jenna Sadu. And thanks to you for listening. You're the bomb.